the challenge is figuring out where to spend your time and where to spend your dollars. And, and I've been, and, I, and I've certainly made mistakes, you know, because there's no sure thing. And I think for me, it was finally just putting my head down and saying, I'm going to ignore all the noise and I'm just going to continue writing books. Welcome back to The Author Biz, where we gather together each week to chat about the non-craft parts of your author business. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 57. The term sales funnel is popular amongst authors. Sales funnels can take different forms, of course, depending on the kinds of books you write and what else you're selling. If you're a novelist, your primary, and in most cases, your only products are the books that you've written. So your sales funnel is a way of organizing those products or your books and, of course, their derivative products, things like audiobooks, foreign sales of books, things like that, Uh, organizing them in such a way that one leads to the next. If you've written one book, you've got one product, and it's tough to build a funnel. If you've written four books, but they're unrelated, it's possible to build a funnel, but it's still challenging. But if you're writing series fiction, it becomes a bit more obvious. Building a sales funnel for your books can be a complicated process that leads you down paths that can take a great deal of time and and may not help to really build your author business. Or, as you'll hear in this interview, it can be as simple as writing the next book in your series and having the correct things in place to point your prospects or your potential readers in the right direction. Today's guest is author Jeff Shelby. Jeff is a hybrid author with an interesting story. But what you may find most interesting about Jeff's story is his focus on doing what he does best, which is writing his books. Jeff's story really isn't unusual for anyone who's been publishing books for a dozen or more years. He wrote a series. He had it traditionally published. He was dropped by his publisher. He found another publisher. He tried again and was dropped again. Then he had a three-year dry spell. That's three years with no income from his writing. He was unable to find a traditional publisher willing to buy any of his books. For many authors, that would have been the end of the story. But Jeff kept going. And now five years later, he's a full-time author with four different series, ranging from hard-boiled PI books to thrillers to cozy mysteries. So, How did he go from essentially no income as an author for three years to full-time writing? Stay tuned and find out. As always, show notes for this episode can be found at the AuthorBiz website, which is theauthorbiz.com. While you're there, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing here. I try and send out a new email message to the list whenever a new episode goes live. So, While you're there, please do sign up for the list. I would appreciate it. Now, let's get on with the interview. Jeff Shelby, welcome to the Author Biz. Thanks for having me, Steve. I am happy to be here. All right, let's get right to it with our traditional opening question. As an author entrepreneur, what's one thing that you do that has been one of the biggest contributors to the success of your author business so far? I think the one thing that I do is I put blinders on, and and I mean that in the sense that I don't feel compelled to do the things 
that everyone else says you have to do in order to sell books and reach an audience. And, and I'm the first to admit that I'm not good at the marketing side, and I don't try to be good at that side. I focus on the things that I do well, not on the things that I struggle with. That's an interesting, it's an interesting answer, and it's, it's something I want to get into later, uh, the idea of your website and some of the things that you're doing. Um, we had a guest on a few weeks ago who had a similar approach. He didn't even have a website. It just his, his idea for marketing the books was just writing the next book and making it better than the one before, and that, that idea resonated with a lot of people. Um, he's a full-time author. You're a full-time author. As a lot of us that are new authors, we feel like this is impossible. We've got to spend all this time on Facebook, and we've got to spend all this time marketing. How are you making it work for you? Um, you know, I listen. I listened to that pot. It was Mike Ferris, right? Mike Ferris, yeah. Huh? Yeah, I listened to that, and, and I was and I was in the gym as I was listening to that, and I was nodding as I'm walking around. But <laughs> yes, that that is that is the the same philosophy. Um, how do I make it work? Um, I, you know, number one. I think that I've focused on series um, so that readers have, if they like the first book in a series, they've got more to go to after that. Um, I think that, you know, particularly for me as a writer, I'm creatively that, that appeals to me to keep going back to locales and environments and characters. And I think that helps grow readership because if they, if you write a good first book, they're going to look for the next books in the series. Um, you know, beyond that, gosh, it, it, you know, I wish I had a good answer. Everybody always thinks that that you're you're hiding behind, you're hiding this magic secret as to how to sell books, and there really isn't one. Um, I, I've just found that when I've tried to focus on <laughs> Facebook and and all these <laughs> things that I've essentially given up, there there was no return for the time that I spent, and it made more sense to me to focus on the writing and getting the books out and, you know, focusing on the small things that I do, you know, the same things that everybody else does. I have an email list and, and those kinds of things. Um, but that I was wasting so much time doing things that, that I couldn't see, you know, a tangible impact with that. I just felt like the time was better spent on writing more books. And for me, the volume has, that has been the single biggest thing I felt like I could do to reach more readers. Okay. And, and let me first say thank you so much for listening to the show and for listening to that interview in particular. When I started this show, the idea was I would like to be able to provide some helpful information to authors whose work I appreciate. And I'm just thrilled that someone, I, I had no idea you were a listener. And I, I, mean, I, I learned when, when you and I started chatting on Facebook, but I had no idea that, that you had been a listener for a while, and I've been a fan of your books for a while. I mean, we'd never really cross paths in, in any way. Right. A absolutely. And, you know, what's funny to me is, is I'm a podcast listener when I'm, when I'm running or, or walking or, or lifting in the gym or whatever I'm doing. You know, and now it's even transferred to the car where I prefer the podcast yep. to, to, to music. And, you know, and one of the things that, that – that I and I, I tend to focus my my podcast listing tends to be more sports and pop culture oriented just because that's the stuff I really enjoy. When I 
listen to your stuff, I have to be a little bit more focused because I, I look at that as, okay, this is, this is a little bit of a learning time. And because for me, there's always somebody out there, regardless of what stage they're at in their writing career, where they usually can offer up something that, that I haven't thought about. So for me, it's, it, it, it's looking for ideas and, and listening to what other people are doing. And again, I say that I put those blinders on, so I don't feel compelled, but I'm always looking and listening to what you know, other authors do. And, you know, I look at the, the list, you know, of folks that you've had on and, you know, every time I see a name pop up, I'm like, Oh gosh, I can't wait. I, I, I'm excited to listen to that one because I want to hear what they have to say. And, you know, and some people I know and some people I don't, but it's always great to listen to other writers offer their perspectives on, you know, what they're doing specifically to, to grow their careers in whichever way they're trying to take them. One of the fun things about doing this show, and I actually, I read this in a review one time with somebody. It was sort of a backhanded compliment, I I guess, but it was he doesn't have the same guests that everyone else has, which is what I'm trying to do because we all know who the same guests that everyone else has are. And, you know, we know what they're going to say. I want to hear from people who are out there producing good work and doing it quietly that aren't out beating a drum saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. You're just like you. You're just doing the work, and, and you've got yeah. those blinders on. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things. You know, when I go down the list, you know, and I, and I, I always think of, you know, I've been, been at this for, gosh, 12 years essentially now. And so I, I like to think that, okay, well, I know most everybody that's, you know, kind of out there one way or another, whether it's, you know, through Facebook or, or whatever, even if it's just – you know, from an acquaintance standpoint, but when I go down the list of folks that you have on, there's always a great mix of folks that I haven't heard of and, or, or haven't heard speak or haven't seen anything that they've written. And I like that, that we don't hear the same material. You had the, you had somebody on just what, uh, I think a week or two ago, somebody who was talking about Periscope. Yeah. And that was Monica Leonel. Yeah. That was totally fascinating to me because I had never, you know, never even I knew what Periscope was, mm-hmm. but I had never thought of it from from an author standpoint, from a writing standpoint. Um, but being able to listen to people like Mike, um, Shell Bradshaw was another one that I listened to, you know, that was you know somebody who I knew of mm-hmm. but had never listened, and and you know, listening to what they do is it's really cool because it's not the same information. So that's that's a nice thing. All right, so this is cool, and it's it's really fun for me to chat with you so that listeners understand this. I don't know how I came across your books, but I came across them like four or five years ago, um, and a particular series, the Noah Bradshaw series. Somebody recommended it to me, and I read the first one. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic, and then I read the next one and the next one, and then there was a little bit of a wait for, I think, the fourth one, and then there's been a really long wait for the fifth one. <laughs> but you've been busy doing other things. So let's give listeners a little, bit of sen- a little bit of a sense of who you are as an author, all the different things that you're writing. You've mentioned that you like to write series, but you've got multiple series in multiple genres. So can you walk us through it? Yeah. And, you know, that 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 branching out in multiple series really was more a product of my career stalling out more than anything else. Um, the, the Noah books, I was originally traditionally published through Dutton. Um, they bought two books. They came out. They were well received. I toured all over the place. And then, you know, as things happened, I, I was dropped, you know, unfortunately. And that's not a unique place to be um, when you're on the traditional side of the line. And 
we tried very hard to sell the third book to other houses. We rewrote it as a standalone, the, and that book being Liquid Smoke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we tried to sell it as a standalone. We tried to do all these things with it, and nothing happened for, oh, gosh, two years, um, two to three years. And I was really frustrated. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's the most frustrating place to be as an author. And so then I wrote the first what ended up being the first Joe Tyler book and that's threat of fear or threat of hope, excuse me. And couldn't sell that. And I mean, it went everywhere and it did nothing. And so then I, then at that point I wasn't just frustrated. I was angry. And so I decided I was going to write something that made me laugh. And that was basically the dumbest thing I could think of. And, and that ended up being, the Deuce Winter series, which was set in small town Texas, and it's it's a humorous cozy, and you know it had all these ridiculous elements about a stay at home dad and all the <laughs> the goofballs that he meets in this small town, and you know kind of murder she wrote, but you know from a goofy standpoint, and and I really wrote that to amuse myself more than anything else. I didn't write it with the intention of selling it. Well. As all that was going on, I switched agent. My first agent and I, we just kind of hit the wall. There was no bad feelings or anything, but we had kind of exhausted the possibilities of trying to sell books. And I said, you know, I'm going to move on. And she said, I totally understand. I'm sorry that I wasn't able to do anything for you, but, you know, I totally get it. And if I can be of any help to you in the future, please let me know. She's a great lady. She's a great agent. We just had hit the wall as to what we could do. Um, And so as I was doing those things and then trying to find a new agent, I found a new agent and she was kind of like, you know, I think we might be able to sell the third Noah book to a smaller press. What else do you have? And I said, well, you know, I said I wrote this Joe Tyler. It's kind of a traditional thriller kind of thing about a guy looking for for his daughter. Um, and she read that and she's like, OK, it's pretty good. But, you know, I'm not sure it really stands out in the marketplace. What else do you have? And I said, well, I've got this really dumb thing about a stay-at-home dad in small town Texas. And he partners with a, a midget private detective. And... <laughs> You know, it made no sense. And she's like, well, let me take a look at that. And lo and behold, she read it. And she's like, I think we can sell this. And so she did. And it ended up turning into a series that I never thought was going to see the the light of day. And that, you know, all those things kind of converged to, you know, not not in any sort of plan. It just sort of happened. And then when the, the Deuce series stopped um, because I opted to stop it. Um, I, but I still really enjoyed writing that cozy themed world. I decided I was going to start another one and self publish that, um, because I was having some luck on the self publishing side. And so I started what's now the Moose River series and I published four books in that series. Where, where are we now time wise? Uh, what, what year that uh, was all of this coming okay. together for you? The idea so, of you had you had a publisher, you lost a publisher, then you got another publisher for uh, for the third Noah, and then you got a cozy publisher, and you decided to self publish. We let's see. So the first two Noah books were published originally in two thousand five and two thousand six, um, and then the paperbacks came out. So basically through two thousand seven, I was kind of under the traditional area mm-hmm. um, under that umbrella, and then we stalled out for close to. Uh, would have been two and a half years because then it was summer of 2010 um, when I switched agents and then when she sold both the third Noah book and 
the first book in, or when she sold the, the Deuce series, the three books in that series, I hadn't even done the self-publishing side yet. I had just kind of flailed away on my own for almost three years. Um, so uh, between 2005 and 2006, you published books, you were making money, and then there was a period of time when presumably there was either very little money that was coming in after you earned out the advance or no money at all. What, what's that like? Uh, it, it sucked. Uh, you know, you, you question, you question everything. Um, you know, and already I think most writers would admit to a large amount of self doubt, um, you know, where they, they worry that what they're writing won't sell or won't appeal to readers or whatnot. And to essentially be, you know, left in no man's land, um, you know, it was, it was incredibly difficult. Um, I, you know, at the time I, I was a stay at home dad. So from the income standpoint, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a stressor in that sense, but it was a huge blow to my ego, um, you know, into who I thought I was, because I really thought when those books published, you know, they were, they were really well received for two years, I didn't say no to a single speaking invitation anywhere in the country. I mean, I flew all over the place. I went to bookstores. I went to conferences. I went everywhere that I was asked to go, um, you know, essentially plowing my advance back into that because I was paying for it. The, the house wasn't paying for it. Um, you know, I wasn't at that level. Um, but the advance had been sizable enough that, you know, I could kind of do that. Um, and, and then it all just stopped. Um, and that was it was really tough to figure out how to get the wheels turning again. But you did. And you, you got them turning primarily by getting another publishing deal, but also realizing at that time that, hey, it might not be such a bad idea if I investigate this self-publishing thing. Yeah. You know, the, the, they started turning again with that small spark, um, you know, in that summer of 2010. It was July of 2010. And both deals happened the the third Noah book and then the the deal with Kensington for the three Deuce books they literally happened I think within forty eight hours of one another mm-hmm. so so you go for this long period of almost three years where nothing happens and then all of a sudden in two days everything happens so you kind of feel like you're back in the game a little bit um, and so you know but th- those were also small deals they weren't you know they weren't big bucks deals it wasn't the kind of money that you could could live off of and so I was still kind of you know, in search of, you know, how do I, how do I make this a career? You know, how do I, how do I make it financially viable? Um, and that was about the time, you know, that, that, that the self-publishing thing with KDP and people were starting to pay attention to it, uh, you know, was starting to get a little bit of traction. And I really hadn't, I really hadn't considered it, to be honest. Um, I, I, it just, it didn't even occur to me that that was going to be the way to go. And, Part of that was just ignorance um, because I wasn't looking that way. Um, you know, but part of it was still that, that ego thing where I wanted to get back. Um, I thought that the place I had to be was, was the, the traditional side. Um, and so it really took me, though, another uh, year and a half before I was ready to pull the trigger on self-publishing. And so that would have been around 2012? It, w- it was literally New Year's Eve 2011. Okay. Uh, we, were, we were sitting around, and my, my wife was like, you've got this book. Why don't you just do it? Let's figure out how to do it. And I was like, all right, fine. Um, you know, she really talked to me into it. And 
<laughs> we got a cover done. I talked to some friends who had done it and got a cover done that I was really pleased with. I felt like, you know, if I had anything going for me on that end, I knew what, a, I knew what the cover should look like mm-hmm. from a thriller standpoint. I knew what it needed to look like. And I knew I had written a pretty good book, even though it hadn't sold to the houses. That hadn't changed my opinion about the book. You know, sometimes you write a good book and, and the traditional market just isn't going to take it for, for a number of reasons. And so I was okay, you know, with that. I thought I'd written a good book. I knew I could write the jacket copy for the book, the description of the book. I knew I could do that too, because I'd already done that. Um, and so I thought, all right, we'll do it. And we pushed publish on December 31st, 2011. Um, and it promptly did nothing. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and that, and that was okay. I didn't really expect it to do anything. Cause I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then I think when we got to the beginning of February, um, so it had been up for about a month or so. Um, so this would be February 2012. I had talked to a couple of friends, um, Neil Smith, Victor Gishler, guys that I had known for years, you know, from from writing crime fiction. And they were like, just put the book for free for a couple of days. And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I worked really hard on this book. I'm not going to give it away. And they're just like, just do it. You'll see what happens when it happens. And I was like, OK. Um, and I put it up. Uh, for two days, I think, because at that point I was exclusive to Amazon, and I put it up for free for two days on KDP, um, and it downloaded 40,000 times in 48 <laughs> hours. And it was this huge, like, aha moment for me. I was like, in 48 hours, I reached more people than I had reached in the previous seven years. Um, more people had seen my name as an author than had in the previous seven years. And I was like, oh, gosh, maybe I should pay attention to this. And this was at the very tail end of when, before Amazon changed the whole algorithm mystery machine thing, Mm -hmm. um, where when you, if you were, it it went to the most downloaded free book on Amazon for a couple of days, I think. And then when I switched it back to paid at $2.99, I think is what I had. It was either $2.99 or $3.99. It stayed at that place, so the visibility was incredibly high. Um, and so I think over the next, gosh, I don't even know. I mean, over the, over the next few days, oh, the rest of that month, basically, it sold, oh, gosh, uh, I, don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but probably between twelve and 14,000 copies. Wow. And, I mean, you can do the math. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it, it was like, oh, gosh, this is a whole new world that I probably need to pay attention to. And that was really the rebirth, I guess, if you want to call it such a thing uh, of my career at that point. And since that time, you have, you've self-published a Noah book. Yep. Um, the, the fourth Noah book, you self-published some more of the uh, Joe Tyler books. And I'm confused about Moose River and Deuce Winter. One of them was traditionally published. One of them is self-published. So we've got, so I wrote three books in the Deuce Winter series, and those were all um, published by Kensington. Okay. And uh, they did well, but when we got to, they, then they wanted more books, but when we got to the contract time, when they said, Hey, we're excited to see an outline for books four, five, and six, you know, that was great. We talked about it, but the money, and again, I was in a position to, to say no, um, the money didn't add up for me based on what I was earning on the other side of the ledger on the self-publishing side. Um, so I wrote the three deuce books and then when I stopped that series, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm actually having fun writing these goofy cozies 
I'm going to start a new series and self-publish it because I know how to do that now. So I started the Moose River series, which is a small town in Minnesota. You know, same thing with a, an amateur private detective, basically. Um, you know, you're, you're amateur sleuth with lots of goofy goings on. It's meant to be more funny than, than serious. And I've written four of those um, now. So there's four there. So in total, I think I've written 16 books. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth one in that series will come out in about two weeks, I think, is what we're looking at. Okay, and that from a from a craft standpoint, I like guess it's not really craft, just from a writing standpoint. Uh, I've read the Noah books; they're about as far from cozy as you could get. They're pretty hard boiled stuff. There's a, a good deal of violence in there. There's some relation stuff in the, relationship uh, items in there, and then you go to cozy. How? What's the mindset when you when you switch between those things? Is it just like you flip a switch and you're you're good to go, or or do you have to really rein yourself in? You know, the the one thing that I have come to um, within the last year year and a half is outlining. I was never an outliner before, um, and again, I mean, this speaks to that craft, you mm-hmm. know, part mm-hmm. of it. And and I always just kind of sat down and went where the book t- took me. And when I was trying to balance back and forth, because the Joe Tyler series is exactly like Noah, very serious. There's violence. There's serious issues going on there. Um, there's nothing funny about them in any way. Um, and what I found was I was being terribly inefficient as I as I wrote the books because I wasn't I didn't have a defined mindset as to, to what I was doing with each book. And it, and it lent itself to really going off in in directions that I didn't want to go and I'd have to end up editing and eliminating, you know, lots of lots that I'd written because it just didn't fit and I didn't have the voice and tone right. So I ended up forcing myself to outline chapter by chapter um, with the books now before before I write. And now I think I have it down to kind of a good system. Um, the the humorous cozies are far easier to write um, than than the serious thrillers. But, you know, I, for me, creatively, I get something out of, out of both. You know, the, the, the cozies, they kind of feed into my goofball, you know, airplane <laughs> sense of humor kind of thing, you know, that, that I've had since a kid. So mm-hmm. I love being able to put that on the page. But I, as a reader, I've always gravitated towards the more serious stuff. You know, I, I grew up reading Robert Parker and, you know, then later on Robert Crace, Dennis Lehane, all the serious crime writers. And so that... You know, I get that outlet too. So I've just learned to move back and forth. I usually don't commingle, <laughs> meaning I don't try to write both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might try to outline one while I'm writing the other one, but I won't try to write both at the same time because I, I can't. My brain doesn't work that way. Okay. Before we move on, uh, question about rights, because I know some of these, just from looking at your Amazon page, it looks like some of these, the rights have reverted to you or you've, you've taken some action to get the rights back. Others have not. So can you kind of walk us through that process and what you did proactively to get those rights uh, and if there's anything that you wish you had done differently? Um, I, I don't have, I, I actually, we're in the process of with the first two Noah books, Killer Swell and Wicked Break. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to see the rights back to Killer Swell anytime soon, unfortunately. And that's been a little bit of the inhibitor, um, in, in pushing forward with that series. Um, I do, however, think that we were very close, um, to getting the rights back to the second book in the series. 
um, wicked break. And that has been an ongoing process where I'm looking through royalty statements and seeing the, the initial contract from 10 years ago, you know, there was a, a sales threshold that, that the books have to meet or not meet in order for the rights to revert to me. And then there's this ridiculously complicated process that makes no sense where you basically have to sit and wait after you make a request um, for them to say yay or nay. And I thought I had the rights back to Wicked Break a year ago, and we missed the threshold by, I don't know, 20 books, 30 books, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but I think that we've, we've really kind of looked at the details um, on the royalty statement for this last 12 months. And I think, I think we're going to get the rights back to that book, which will put one more book back under my control, um, which is really exciting to me. The, the hardest part for me with the Noah books, because he's still the character that I care about the most. And, and he's probably the character that I want to write about the most. But the practical business side of me, I don't control that first book in the series, which for me is kind of key in terms of how I can use that book to promote and to expand the readership. Um, and I, you know, I don't control, I don't control it. And I don't know that I'm going to see it anytime soon. I do control the fourth book because I wrote that on my own and the fifth book when that gets written here in the next 60 days or so, 90 days, probably, um, I'll control that one. And, you know, I, and I've struggled with whether I wanted to continue that series without control of that first book, because I felt pretty limited as to what I can do to expand the readership there and, and how to promote it because it's, for me, my philosophy and what, what has worked for me, you know, is, is that first book is really key to getting people hooked into the series. And, and when I don't control it, that's tough. So I have to think, OK, well, is it worth my time to write more books in that series if I can't draw people to it the way that I have with the other series? And that makes perfect sense. And I, I know this is something that lots of people that are listening are, go, are going through as well. Uh, they, they may be in the, in the position that you were in in 2010 where they've written some books. It may be a while before they get the rights back. Um, is, is there any advice that you would give people or even give people that are signing traditional deals now to try and put themselves in a better spot should they ever need to make an attempt to get the rights back? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I, that I have any advice to offer from people who are signing traditional deals now because I, I think that those contracts have now switched where the thresholds are far higher. If you go back to, um, you know, when I, what the first contract I signed for, for killer swell and wicked break, I actually signed that in 2003. The book didn't, the first book didn't come out till July of 2005, but I signed the contract in 2003. And, and if you think that far back, and if you remember what the landscape was like, nobody gave a second thought to eBooks. No, you know, they, they were, they were an afterthought. And so, the threshold for for my books is really I, I, I it's something like I have to sell less than than 250 copies a year, um, which is really low. And you know when a book goes out of print and whatnot, you know that 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 sort of helps. But the publishers, you know, to their credit, from a business side, they've gotten smarter and realized, okay, you know what, we want to hang on to these as long as possible. Because it's it's essentially passive income for them, even if a series goes out of print, if they still maintain the e rights. Um, so I, you know, and I, and from what I've heard and from what I've been told, you're just not going to get, you're not going to get favorable rights, particularly on the electronic side, if you're if you're doing the traditional side. So so my advice would be get as much money up front as you can. 
um, you know, as far as getting your rights back, I, I think you have to you have to watch those royalty statements like a hawk. Um, you have to know exactly what your original contract says, um, and you have to be vigilant and and watch those numbers. And you almost have to hope that your sales drop. And again, that was another inhibitor for me in saying, well, you know what? I don't want to write another book in the Noah series because I actually don't want people to go looking for the first couple books because mm-hmm. I don't want them to sell because I want them to come back to me. Uh, you know, you, you just have to be vigilant and you have to know what you're up against. And you also have to be realistic. I, I'm pretty confident that the that first Killer Swell book probably won't come back to me because they've gradually dropped the price to where it's priced correctly now as far as I'm concerned. Where, where people are going to find that regardless because it, whether they know me from other books or whether they're just looking for a traditional private detective mystery, they'll probably find that book. So I'm not sure that it's ever going to come back to me. Um, I haven't investigated whether it's worth trying to enter into a negotiation to buy it back. Um, you know, there's differing schools of thought on that for now. You know, I've let it go because I haven't wanted to get myself into that kind of entanglement because I have a feeling that's very time-consuming and costly. Um, and so again, I have to I have to weigh the the return on that investment. And right now, from a time and money standpoint, I haven't been able I, I haven't been willing to chase that. Okay, um, as as a hybrid author, when you started, your responsibility was to write the books, and as you said, you spent a lot of time touring, speaking, doing all of those things. Um, when you're self publishing books now, the the scope of your responsibility expands exponentially. Is there anything that you've been faced with when self-publishing that's just way more challenging than you thought it would be? Oh, gosh, uh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I think it, it, it's the same question for everybody. It's how to grow it's how to grow your readership. It's how to find, how do you make people find you that don't already know you? Um, and I think that's a continuous uphill battle for everybody. And, and I think no matter what stage you get to in terms of your readership and your earnings, I think everybody looks for ways to grow that, that group, so to speak. Um, you know, and I, I just, I haven't found anything <laughs> that, that works better than writing more books. You know, I, I literally do some of the things opposite of what I used to do. I don't go to conferences anymore as much as I miss them um, because the return on investment isn't great for me. I can't, I can't justify going to BoucherCon because the cost is so great um, it, and there isn't a tangible return for me. And I, and I hate being that practical. I wish I, I, wish I wasn't. Um, because I miss BoucherCon. I miss going to see my friends. I miss going to meet new people who've read my books. But it's, it's not worth the time and, and money. Um, so the, the challenge is figuring out where to spend your time and where to spend your dollars. And, and, I've, been, and, I, and I've certainly made mistakes um, you know, because there's no sure thing. Um, and I think for me it was finally just putting my head down and saying, I'm going to ignore all the noise, and I'm just going to continue writing books. And when you see the latest hot new technique, are you tempted, or do you just do you keep those blinders on and put your head down and start banging away on the keys? Oh, I'm I'm always tempted, and 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 then I'll uh, then I'll do the deep dive, and, and I will investigate until I have nothing left 
to find. Um, I'm, I'll be exhaustive in trying to figure out, okay, how did the, how exactly did this work? Am I missing a piece to it? Is, is there something I'm not understanding? Is, is it, is it the point of view that is, is making it look so great? You know, I, I, I tend to be pessimistic, um, in trying to poke holes in things that I hear are these fabulous tricks to finding more readers. Um, and, so I'm always tempted and I'll always go listen. Um, and particularly, you know, it depends on, who, on who's saying it too. You know, it was, uh, I'll go back to Cheryl Bradshaw. Um, when I listened to her and she talked about the Facebook ads, um, I'm not a fan of the Facebook pages. Mine's been dormant for a couple of years because the reach has been so negated by the Facebook algorithms. I, I feel like it's pointless to spend time to put things up there. I just, I, for me, I don't, it's not worth it to try to maintain that page. Um, but when she talked about the ads and how much success she's had, and I've also seen other folks, Mark Dawson and, you Mm -hmm. know, other folks that have had success, I'm like, Hmm, I need to investigate that a little bit more because that's coming up over and over again. Um, so I'm still, I think in the middle of of poking around in there, trying to decide if that's where I want to put, you know, dollars, um, and I'm not convinced yet. I, I tend to be very, very conservative <laughs> from from a dropping money into any sort of marketing thing. The only thing that that I will that I will do without thinking about it is, is the same thing that everybody else, and that's book club. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a fine line, isn't it? That you know, you and I are we're not spring chickens. I'm less of a spring chicken than you are. But as, as you get a little experience, uh, you begin to see things over and over and over again. And, and today's hot new technique was also the hot new technique 10 years ago and the hot new technique 20 years ago. And we know how this story goes. However, if we're completely skeptical, it's possible to miss things. I will admit to being shocked at the amount of success that Cheryl's had with her Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's made me rethink the whole thing. You mentioned Mark Dawson. I'm I'm speaking with Mark on Thursday because I've had a lot of requests. I, I spoke with Mark, I don't know, about a year ago, but that was before he started doing the Facebook ad thing. So we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that and his process for doing that because some people are having success with it. And I, I don't think it's just people that are lucky. I think it's people that are willing to spend enough time to learn how to do it correctly and then to iterate as, as time goes by because nothing works in technology. If, it, if it's working today, it's not going to work next week, like you mentioned the, the Facebook author pages. Uh, but it, it is a fine line because if you open your mind to that stuff, then your blinders widen out a little bit and you spend less time writing. Yeah, and I, I think what you said is exactly right. It, it, it... It takes the right person to spend the right amount of time investigating and know exactly what they're doing. Um, Because I don't think you can just fire a cannon into the dark, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and and hope it hits. Because I think too many of us have done that, and it doesn't work. And it ends up being a fruitless, frustrating endeavor. And I think what we're seeing with the Facebook ads are people who have been very calculated in, in, in their research and how they've approached the ads and how they've tinkered with them and and really, I mean, measured and recorded what those results, results are. And, yeah, that's a huge investment of time. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what you have to say. Okay, well, am I willing to put the time in, into this if I know it's going to work? It's the same thing, same, same concept with the book bub idea, 
the BookBub ads? Am I willing to put this much money into a single ad, even if if I'm not if I know what the return is going to be? And now BookBub has grown to the point, like I said, yeah, I will absolutely put that money down when it's accepted because I know the return will absolutely justify the, the investment in the marketing dollars. I, you know, there's nothing else that I feel nearly as comfortable with. And so I tend to shy away from it. And it's because I don't want to spend days on end trying to figure out, does this work? I'd rather write another 30,000 words in the next book. All right. You mentioned early on in the interview that uh, one of the few things that you do is you do have a website and you do have a mailing list. Um, I, I signed up for your mailing list today. I, I routinely will do that with anyone that I'm going to have on the show. And I don't know if it's coincidence or not, or maybe the, the last email message just automatically came to me, but it was something, I, I forget what the title was, something Alusa, uh, of the title of the email message. Basically, you were uh, extolling the fact that you had done two consecutive monthly email <laughs> mailings. So what is your... We know we talked about Mike Pharisee, and Mike has a fairly, I won't call it complicated, but a consistent process of using his email list. Um, And that's basically all he does other than it's BookBub, Facebook, and his email list. You have a website and you have an email list. Do you feel like you're doing the things that you need to be doing with your email list or are you, are you leaving something on the table? I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving something on the table. Um, because it, it really, it, it was hilarious. You know, when I, when I did the, the September newsletter and I was like, Hey, two in a row after not doing one for, I don't know, six, seven months, whatever it was, <laughs> you know, and, and that, that is literally my track record with mm-hmm. everything from a marketing and sales standpoint. Again, I'm not good at it. Um, so I know that there are, are things that, that, that I'm not doing that I probably should. I, I've, I have seen some growth here in the last six or seven months with the list, specifically because we've put you know the link in the books at the front and the back of the books. Okay, um, let's let's be specific about that because that's something we talk about from time to time. But I think sometimes that just zips over the top of listeners' heads. Uh, uh-huh. You're saying you put it in the front. And the back of the book. Uh, first, why do you do it there, and exactly where do you put it? Um, I put it on the. I, I actually put it okay at the front of the book. It's on a separate page, and it's right after I believe my list of of all of the titles that I've written, regardless of of that specific book. I list all the books that I've written um, with with hyperlinks to all those books, and then on the next page before the story starts, it's just a simple two line blurb. Hey, if you want to find out about new releases and read early chapters, something along those lines, you know, click right here and sign up for my newsletter. And that's before they even start the story. Um, and then I put it again at the very end of the book, thinking literally right after the end. Um, if you've, if you enjoyed this and want to read more or want to find out more, sign up for the newsletter list. Um, thinking that it's essentially, you know, it's, it's, it's like the old retail days, the point, the, the, what the point of sale sales, right. The things at the cash register, when you're not planning on buying it, but you see it right there and go, oh, that's that's a cute little magic trick for three bucks. I'll take that home with me. You know, it, it's that same idea where it's right there and it's available and it's really simple to do to click on. And it, it has been effective having it in both places before I just had it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I would say I definitely saw 
a little bit of a, an uptick once I put it at the front of the books too. And it's just, you know, I think the way that I look at it is it's just, it's two places. It's two opportunities for people to get on that, that newsletter list. If they want to, you know, if they want to find out about more books or, or whatever, um, you know, it, it's two opportunities for me to get them on that list. And you're making it as obvious as humanly possible. I've talked to people about this before um, offline, and I'll, I'll suggest this technique to people, and they say, yeah, 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 I'm going to do it. And then I get the new book, and I can't find it. And they'll say, oh, no, it, it's in the back, and it, it's kind of between this and that. And, you know, I'll go and read carefully enough. It's like, oh, yeah, there it is. I see it. That's not going to work. Um, but, but you're making it obvious, and that's why I'm just trying to bring this out so that uh, hopefully a few more people will hear it. I think I even use a larger font, to be honest, than, than, the, than on, that, on those particular pages, on the, on the couple of sentences. I, I think I literally have, I, and I, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think I literally make the font larger so that it sticks out a little bit more. Um, and I might even... I might even have it in bold type again, just so it sticks out both front and back so that they're there. And, then, and it's very clear as to what it is, like you said. So, Okay. And another thing that I noticed you doing in the newsletter that I got today, and see, I get so much information from just one newsletter. You are good <laughs> at these newsletters. <laughs> but this is something that I see a lot of people doing and far too many people not doing. And that is that you sent an email to your list saying, I've got a new book coming out. This is something that you're self-publishing, so you, you can actually do this. But you're asking for a certain number of people who want a copy of the book for free in exchange for an honest review. And, you know, the hope is that they will actually do that. And I think the number you were looking for was 20, and you filled those slots very quickly. Uh, why do you do that, and has this been effective for you? Um. You know, this is the first time that I that I've given away um, okay. twenty of them up front. Um, so I so I can't speak to whether or not it will be effective. I, I know that I it's been effective for other folks that I've spoken to. Um, you know, my wife really pushed pushed for it this time. She's like, just do it and see what happens. Um, and, and I guess I look at it as I, I have no aversion at this point to giving books away. Um, both. Thread of Hope, the first book in the Joe Tyler series, and The Murder Pit, which is the first book in the, the Moose River series, are both, they're both permanently free right now. And that was a hurdle for me to get over because I was like, ah, I don't know that I want to do that. But finally decided to try it and see what happened. And, and for me, the results of having those first books free is kind of that, that introductory business card. Um, it's actually paid, it's really paid off. Um, you know, where the, the sales literally grew from just making those two books free um, and, and philosophically approaching them different and saying, okay, these are going to earn for me, but in a different way. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with giving books away. And I think it's, you know, I think it's a way of, of hopefully connecting with readers and, 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 you know, turning them into those, those raving fans that you hear, you know, on the, on, you know, in the, the entrepreneurial workshops, you know, where you mm -hmm. get these people who will, who will literally spread the word for you. Um, you know, and I, and I hope that, I hope it's, it, it, it's seen by them as, Hey, he's doing something kind of cool. That's, that's kind of great that, that we're getting this one for free before everybody else. It, it's, it's to hopefully reward them for, Having you know purchased and read and enjoyed other books and signed up for the newsletter, so that you you feel like 
hopefully there's some balance between between me and them where where we're we're doing a little bit for for each other um you know and and practically it'd be great if if on the first day that the the book is released if if those people go and and leave regardless of of whether they think this is the best book i've ever written or the worst um because i really am fine with that too i i genuinely mean that i I'd rather hear that a book sucks than, than have somebody lie to me about it. Um, so, you know, my hope is that, you know, if they do that and they throw those up there and all of a sudden it, it doesn't look like a brand new book, you know, where you're waiting to get reviews and you're counting mm-hmm. them day by day and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully there, there are benefits to both, to both myself and to those readers. That that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. You know, okay. we'll, we'll see what happens. You, you mentioned a couple of things there, and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into each of them, and then we'll wrap up. But this this idea of it, it's almost a partnership forms between you and the people on your list who respond and ask for this, where it's like, you know, we're, we're in this together trying to make this book uh, the best it can possibly be. And I, I know from having been at the end of those email messages and saying, yes, I'd like to do this. I feel a, a, a great sense of responsibility to write the review, and nine times out of ten, then I'll go out and buy the book anyway, because I feel bad just getting the book for free, and I sure. know that will also help during the launch period. Uh, the other thing that you said was, was the idea of free. We talked about free four years ago, where you could make your book free, 40,000 copies would be downloaded, and that ramp up would, you'd stay at that level for a period of time, and you'd sell a ton of books. That doesn't work anymore. But the idea of making the first book in the series free, people just keep saying this, that this is still working. You've said the same thing. Um, It's not working at the level that it was working at years and years ago, but it's still working to bring people into the series. So could you just kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think I, I think it's working just in a different way. I, I think, you know, four years ago, it worked where it literally translated to immediate sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and they fixed that so that it doesn't work that way anymore. And, and I get that. Um, the way that it works now is you, you have you have a calling card. You have something to give to somebody at no risk. It, 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 it's very and again, I mean, we talked about being conservative with money. Right. I I have a hard time walking into a bookstore or looking online and dropping 20 bucks on a hardcover book for a writer that I haven't read yet. And that that isn't a statement on whether the book is good or not. But for me personally, I just don't throw around that 20 dollars like that. Um, And I think that's the way that most people look at it. So once once the series had grown to three and four books in each series, it, it made sense to say, okay, let, let's see what happens if we just give this away and can draw them in because I have confidence that these books are good enough that they'll be invested in the series, that they will like the first book well enough that they're going to want to read the remaining books in the series. And, you know, certainly it's not a hundred percent conversion, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the response was enough, you know, that where the sales were kind of lagging on those first books that, it didn't really feel like I was losing a whole lot by turning them to free because then the sell through and the sales on the, the latter books in the series immediately increased. 
And it also gives me the option if I run or if I want to run a book bub ad um, and advertise one of those two books is free, um, which I did at the beginning of this year um, for both Thread of Hope and The Murder Pit. The returns on those were really, really good. It's, it's a change in philosoph- philosophical thinking, right? Because we don't think that we should give away a product that we put the blood, sweat, and tears into. But for me, I haven't seen anything else that has led to consistent sales the way that giving away the first book in a series does. And so I, you know, I don't want to say that I advocate for that, but I can say that that has consistently worked for me. I think you have to have some things in place. You have to have a number of books in a series. You can't do it with your first book if you don't have the second book in the series ready to go. Um, you know, ideally, I don't think you should do it before you have three books because, again, you want it to be worth it to give it away. Um, but I can say that's the one thing that's consistently worked. And I don't have, you know, I don't know what you want to call the thinking, um, but but I don't have that marriage to the book that there has to be money tied to that specific book or because it's art, we have to sell it. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I just think more practically from a business standpoint that if, if I can give that book away and that's going to lead to more money coming in on the other end with the, the later books in the series, I'm totally fine with that. You know, it's interesting. When we started the interview, you you mentioned that you don't really spend a lot of time and a lot of thought on marketing, but you've got a pretty well-designed marketing funnel built for yourself that's generating revenue on a recurring basis that you don't have to work very hard for. You are able to put your blinders on and do your work, and these funnels that you've set up in all of these different series with the links at the front and back of the book to get people on your list, and the first in a series free has has built has allowed you to be able to build this business for yourself where you can now be a full-time author and you know live a life that five years ago probably looked uh, pretty advanced. Yeah, it, it really did, and, and I think... I think the key there is that those those things, setting the books free, using the email list, they don't take a lot of time for me. They're really, you know, setting the books free was a one-time deal. Um, So there isn't money spent, there isn't time spent in making that happen. The email list, you know, I just use MailChimp. Um, And so making sure the links are in those books, then MailChimp kind of does its thing. The only thing that's left to me is to create the newsletter you know, each month, um, yeah, each month, yeah, right. <laughs> if I can keep my streak alive, we can get October's done. Um, you know, but, but again, for me, those are things that don't take a lot of time. And so fortunately they work, you know, if they weren't working, would I be spending time elsewhere trying to figure things out? Probably so. So there's also some luck in there too, but the, the key is that it doesn't take me a lot of time and I can spend the bulk of my time working on the books themselves. And it sounds like you have done some experimentation, and like any smart person, when you find something that works, you do more of it, and you find something that doesn't work, you do less of it. A- absolutely. I, you know, and l- like I said, the, the Facebook author pages were a thing for me, and I know there are some authors that say, hey, they totally work. I have this great engagement. I just didn't have that. And so I was like, why am I doing this? It just doesn't make any sense. It was the same thing. I quit Twitter two years ago, I think, a little over two years ago, because it felt to me like it was this giant swap meet where people were yelling at you as you walk down the aisle, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't think it's effective. It, you know, number one, I don't want to be on the receiving end of it. And I sure as heck don't want to be the guy, <laughs> the guy who's yelling it. Um, so I, I 
gave up on that. You know, I think the the one thing that I that I wish I would that I that I really want to spend more time on is my website. And and I don't mean even necessarily from a sales standpoint, but just simply to make it a place where there's more content. And so my plan is to put up, you know, book reviews of other books that I've read that I really like that have nothing to do with my books. Um, making sure I'm updating when I have a new release out, those kinds of things. That's, that's the one thing that is my goal for this last quarter of the year is to make that a, a regular place rather than, than so static like it's been. And I, I would actually encourage listeners to go to your website because, you know, we've talked with Mike and we talked about that interview with Mike Ferrissey. Mike has no website at all. Yours is, is a small step forward from no website at all right now. You've got a, a few pages. Um, every, every so often you'll post something. Uh, not very often. Uh, every so often you'll do like a cover or something. But it's there. But there are some things missing. Like if I wasn't friends with you on Facebook, I'm not sure that I could have figured out how to contact you through your website. Uh, things like that. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and that's again, that's a product of two things: is one of me trying to keep it simple, and one me not being good at following up with these ideas that I have. Right. Um, so you know, I try to make sure, and, and the fact that you just said I'm not sure I know how to contact you, that literally is I'm making a note as I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I need to make sure that's there because that would be one of the things that I want on there. I want people to be able to go there and see the books that I've written and mm-hmm. have links to those books, which is there. I want them to be able to sign up for the newsletter. I want them to be able to contact me one way or another. Um, you know, and I, and I'd like for them to find something there that, that is semi engaging, whether it's, it's either something about my new book, about a book that I've read that I really enjoyed, or, you know, about the time I went to Disneyland, you know, whatever it's going to be. Um, but again, I'm trying not to do too much because that's usually when I trip and fall. And this, I think your website is actually a great example of the easy way to do an email list because uh, a lot of people focus way too much on the sign-up form. I've got to have a fancy sign-up form, and, you know, should it pop up or should it spin around in circles from the bottom, or, you know, do I need to have a picture of my book on it? You've just got a button up at the top that says newsletter or subscribe or something like that. That's all you need, and then it goes to the MailChimp MailChimp link. What kills me is authors who bury that somewhere where you can't find it. And you say, oh, do you even have an email list? And like, oh yeah, you've got to go to this page and then scroll to the bottom and click this link. And, and there it is. Yeah, Yours is right there. It's on the menu. You may not have much on the menu, but one of those things is the, is the newsletter. But, but you can find it exactly. And that was my goal. And because again, I feel like that's the, the most direct way to, to stay in constant contact with anybody who wants information from me. And, you know, I know that WordPress has all, you know, the, the site itself is just something that I built for free on a, on a WordPress site, you know, mm-hmm. took me probably 15 minutes to choose the theme and put it together. Um, and I've changed the theme multiple times just so it looks different. Um, and I know there's all sorts of plugins to do like the fancy landing pages, like you were talking about with, with email addresses, you know, where they float across the top or when you go to hover over the closeout button, they pop up and all that stuff. And I just was like, that seems way too complicated and I'll spend way too much time trying to figure out which one I should use. I'm going to put it up here. And that way I know too, people didn't feel like they had to put their email address in, which is that again, that's a personal thing for me. I don't want feel to, I don't want people to feel like they have to hear from me. I, I want them to choose to do so. And so I know that if they click on that newsletter tab at the top and then click the link to 
enter in their their email address through the Mailchimp system, I'll know they I'll know that they wanted to do that. It won't have been my mistake. It won't have been through coercion. <laughs> it won't have been in an attempt to sell them anything. I'll know that they wanted to do it, and that. That I'm okay with that from from an integrity standpoint. So. And those are the people that you want to communicate with when it's time to to sell them a new book. These are people that have expressed an interest in your work. They want to buy the next book. I, I would sure think so. I, you know, those those are the people who 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 are going to open the newsletter each month and and see what's in there, whether it's a new book or a book recommendation or a contest or a giveaway or or just something about me. I, those are the people that I want to. In, open the newsletter. People who don't care, I mean, as someone who hates getting junk email on a daily basis, I, I don't want to send it out to people who don't want to open it and read it. So I feel comfortable that if people sign up for it, whether it's through the books or through the website, they meant to do it, and that means they want to hear from me. What well, Jeff, this has been absolutely terrific. I know this interview is going to be well-received because the idea of not overdoing this marketing stuff uh, really resonates with people because we all want to be able to put the blinders on and focus on the writing. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. What's the best way for people to keep up with you and, and what you're doing? Is it your website, social media, something else? The the best way to find me is through the website. Um, and I'm going to double check <laughs> how to contact me through the website, but it's jeffshelby.com. Um, that's the easiest way to reach me. And through the newsletter that comes right into my email address. Um, you know, if, if you can't find me, even if you look on the sample books, if you look through any of the websites, if you looked at Amazon and looked at the sample pages that are available on any of my books, you literally can sign up for the newsletter on the sample pages. It's always going to be available in that free sample that you scroll through to read the first few pages. So they can even just click on the link there and, That'll take them right to the sign-up, and they can enter their email, and then they'll hear from me, hopefully, monthly. <laughs> hopefully. We'll, we'll all be able to test that now. And I really – I'm not I'm not making fun of your website. I, I think your website is, is a great example of minimalistic chic in terms of an, an author website. You don't have to spend much time on it. Uh, if you had a couple more things in there, like a really easy way to contact you, it does everything you need to do. And then you just move on, put the blinders back on, and start pounding away on the keyboard again. So thank you so much for being here, Jeff. Absolutely. Anytime, Steve. I appreciate it. <laughs>